Welcome to the InterParis podcast series. This podcast is brought to you by the InterParis Parliaments in Partnership, EU global project to strengthen the capacity of parliaments, funded by the European Union and implemented by International IDEA. The series aims to bring parliaments closer to your everyday lives. Embark with us on the InterParis journey as a pilot project as we bring you stories from parliaments around the world. I'm Ingrid Walker, Associate Program Officer for the InterParis Project, and I will be your host for today's episode. We wanted to start by introducing the program and talk to a few people that have made the project what it is today. The InterParis Program is a three-year project launched at the start of 2019 with a budget of 5 million euros. InterParis is the first global parliamentary project of its kind and aims to strengthen representative democracy through support to parliaments in partner countries by enhancing their legislative, oversight, representative, budgetary and administrative functions. It focuses both on elected members of parliament in their capacity as members of parliamentary committees and on the staff of parliament secretariats. We wanted to launch our podcast this June to celebrate International Ideas' 25th anniversary this year. International IDEA has been supporting sustainable democracy worldwide since 1995. Each team within IDEA has chosen a month in 2020 to showcase their work and mark the anniversary. Have a look at the International IDEA website, idea.int, and at the InterParis website, inter-paris.eu, to learn more. In this first episode, we wanted to tell you a bit more about the project as we try to answer what may seem like very simple questions, but questions that are ultimately at the heart of parliamentary development. Why do parliaments matter? And what can parliaments learn from one another? To help us answer these questions, we first sit down with Gonzalo Joro Martinez, Policy Officer for Support to Parliaments and Political Parties in the Human Rights and Democratic Governance Unit at the European Commission's Directorate General for International Cooperation and Development, and as such, the project manager for InterParis at the EU side. Gonzalo, it's great to have you on our first ever episode. Thank you so much for joining us. So you're now in Brussels, enjoying the easing of the lockdown. Um, what was the first thing you did once shops and businesses reopened? Interesting question. Well, I was actually inspired on this by a Spanish writer, Juan José Millas, who was asked the same question, and he replied that he would do nothing special, just stay at home, because uh, for him that was the best expression of being able to use back his freedom again. I actually didn't have any uh, big craving for shopping. Online shopping in, in Belgium has, has worked quite well during the confinement, and I was able to buy the, the few things that I needed, mostly for teleworking better. What I was perhaps uh, more looking forward to is the reopening of museums and, and so on. I think it's a great moment now to do local tourism. InterParis is the first global project of its kind, um, as I've said before, and it's funded by the European Union and implemented by International IDEA. In many ways, you turned this idea into reality. How did the idea for the project come about? And how did International IDEA become the implementing partner? Well, promoting democracy is a key objective of the EU's foreign and development cooperation policies. It's actually in the EU treaties uh, that it should promote in the wider world the values that inspired its very own creation, democracy, human rights, rule of law. 
As part of this, the EU has been supporting parliaments around the world for many years. And at a certain point, there was consensus among the different EU institutions, including the EU member states, uh, that we should strengthen and scale up EU support in this field. At the same time, EU member state parliaments themselves have their own very relevant experience in interparliamentary cooperation and projects around the world. So in the end, we came up with the idea of a new pilot global EU flagship project on parliamentary strengthening with this very special implementation modality, which is the peer-to-peer approach. So basically conducting exchanges between EU member state parliaments on the one side and partner parliaments around the world on the other. This is in a nutshell how uh, Interparis was born. And as regards partnering with international idea, well, as I said, the ultimate goal of Interparis is to promote democracy. And international idea is the only intergovernmental organization with the sole mandate of promoting democracy. In the last 25 years, international idea has gained a strong reputation as a think and do tank in this field. Besides that, the EU and international idea also already had a long history of joint cooperation with international idea implementing EU-funded projects in several countries. And there were, of course, other reasons, like, for instance, the fact that international idea already had very good relations with other key project partners, like the Interparliamentary Union and the Union Women, or the fact that its regional offices uh, work very closely with our EU delegations around the world. All in all, we are very happy with our partnership with International IDEA and truly believe that together we can do very important things under Interpire. Now, you manage the project on behalf of the European Commission. Um, but if you were to take a step back and imagine you are just now getting acquainted with the project for the first time, much like our listeners are, what would you see as the added value of the project? And what do you ideally want to see happen as a result of the project? Well, I believe that the biggest added value of Interparis uh, is the partnerships that it creates at all the different levels. In fact, the full title of the project is Interparis Parliament in Partnership, the EU Global Project to Strengthen the Capacity of Parliament. A wonderful aspect of the project is precisely that it actually aims to bring together, so to say, the whole community of practice around parliamentary development. In addition to international idea, it brings together all the EU institutions the European Commission that manages the project, the European Parliament, and the European External Action Service. Then there's the EU Member State Parliaments that are at the core of the project. I think the project has actually managed to deepen the relationships between colleagues dealing with interparliamentary cooperation within the administrations of the EU Member State Parliament. Then, of course, there's the partner parliaments around the world, with which I think we have managed to build strong and trustworthy relations. And beyond the project partners that I mentioned earlier, the project is also keen on working together with civil society, specialized foundations or parliamentary monitoring organizations, as well as with academia. I think this is the great added value of Interparis. As regards to results, the ultimate goal of the project is to uh, contribute towards uh, bringing about real democratic change concerning parliaments. In fact, one of the criteria we use to prioritize partner countries is uh, that they should uh, be undergoing a democratic transition or a political reform process. Some of our first partner countries, like Malaysia, Gambia, Bhutan, or Maldives, find themselves to one extent or the other in these situations. Depending on the country, the actual result would be different. For instance, in countries where the legislative process is not very mainstream, we can, through training or legislative drafting or the sharing of experiences on legislative processes, 
contributes towards improving the quality of legislation in countries where there's perhaps a lack of parliamentary tradition involving committees or on budgetary and financial oversight, the project can help parliaments improve this. Another crucial thing is the engagement of citizens. By sharing experiences, parliament can learn from each other how best to connect with the public, be it either through TV or radio stations, the internet, social media or apps, by parliamentary education programs at schools, high schools or universities, or by establishing a, a petition system. The ultimate goal is in line with the sustainable development goals and especially SDG 16 to contribute to a strengthening the effective, accountable and transparent functioning of parliaments to ensure responsive, inclusive, participatory and representative decision making. And I think we can contribute to what all this under bias. Thank you so much, Gonzalo, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Our next guest is Dr. Jonathan Murphy, who leads the Interparis project on behalf of International IDEA. Jonathan is an international expert in the field of democratic development and has focused specifically on strengthening parliaments over the past 20 years. Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Um, you have worked with more than 40 parliaments in Africa, Asia, Europe, the Americas, the Arab region and the Pacific. You're also my boss, which I think means I can't ask you controversial questions, but uh, let's just pretend for this next five minutes that I actually can. So given your experience, what have you seen work best in parliamentary development? And what are some of the lessons you have made sure or addressed through the Interparis project? And what can parliaments ultimately learn from one another? Well, thanks very much, Ingrid. And uh, and actually, I think the tougher questions you ask, the better it is for me. Um, I think as far as what works in parliamentary development, the most important thing is probably the most obvious, and that there has to be real buy-in from the parliament that is receiving support. Typically, in my experience, the best support is provided and received when there's been a democratic opening in a country when new parliamentary leaders are keen to build a stronger institution based on international best practices. I worked in Tunisia from 2012 to 2015, for example, after the Jasmine Revolution of 2011 established the first democracy in the country's history. The new leaders there, they were so enthusiastic to learn from examples anywhere in the world that could help them strengthen their parliament. So, they were interested in learning from South Africa about gender equality. They were interested in lessons from Canada on finding a balance between freedoms and responsibilities. They were interested in how to provide proper oversight in a country where government had never been held to account. So it was a real pleasure to work there because there was this real desire to learn, this real openness. But I have to say, on the other hand, I've come across many cases, too many cases, where it's the donor or the parliamentary development agency that drives the project. And the beneficiary parliament might not really be interested, but of course they don't want to appear uninterested or ungrateful. And I recall one evaluation of a long-term parliamentary project in, uh, in a country in Southern Africa, where at the end of the project, in which unfortunately not very much was achieved, the evaluator asked the parliament what they had thought of the project and the Parliament said, well, actually, they'd never been asked if they wanted the supports provided. So the really important thing is this has to be driven by the Parliament, by the needs, the wishes, 
of the parliament themselves. So Inter Paris is driven very much by the wishes of the beneficiary parliaments, what we call the partner parliaments. The process starts by them expressing an interest. We had nearly 40 saying that they wanted to be part of the Inter Paris partnership, even though we can only set up around 20 in the three years we're operating. So we sit down with each of the parliaments that are selected, there's about five every six months, to really focus on their needs, on the reform priorities they've identified. These can be really varied from help creating a consolidated set of laws to developing a school curriculum on what is a parliament for a country where parliament had previously just been a rubber stamp. On that basis, we develop a draft support document. We distribute that to all EU member state parliaments for them to express interest in the specific priorities where the partner parliament has asked for help and support. And so far, we've had really positive responses, with EU member state parliaments offering support to all of the partner parliament's priorities. And that's where the second key aspect comes in, is the peer-to-peer support. Parliaments learn best from practical examples, and this is where the support of the European member state parliaments is so valuable. The European Union is the great democratic success story of the past half century, and national parliaments are are at this core, at the centre of democratic processes in each member state. Let's not forget almost half of the EU member states were not democracies 50 years ago. They've come so far and have so much to share with parliaments in newly emerging democracies. Um, Now, with the pandemic, of course, we've all been working from home and you actually rushed to reunite with your wife in Ireland as the borders were closing mid-March, which is actually a pretty lovely story. I have to ask my wife if she was happy that I showed up late at night at the door saying, (laughs) I've come to move in on a permanent basis for the next time, usually we commute. But uh, but we live next door to the Wicklow Mountains National Park. Um, so it's been wonderful every day to go out for a good hike. Um, but in practical terms, what has this meant for the Interpires project um, and um, how activities are going to continue? Of course, for any program that's based on exchange, face-to-face is usually the preferred way of sharing knowledge. And Parliament, I mean, it means a talk shop, a speaking house. Uh, And so person-to-person exchange is the preferred way. It makes dialogue, it makes relationship building much easier. And we had to cancel numerous inbound study missions and outbound travel by European parliamentary experts when the pandemic hit. Um, But we have been able to refocus our activities. Some of the examples we are developing an e-learning program which will provide five modules on core parliamentary functions and key thematic areas such as parliaments and climate change. And that's being developed in conjunction with the EU member state parliaments and their experts. We're also setting up online consultations between uh, European member state parliaments and uh, partner parliaments, um, particularly on focused issues, for example, an exchange on developing a human resource strategy between a a European parliament that has recently done that and a partner parliament that would like to develop such a strategy. Another approach we're taking is to work with local NGOs in partner countries 
uh, for them to work directly with the national parliament on specific thematic areas. So we have one where we're working on gender equality, again with online input planned from European Parliament experts. So we're all learning new ways to do things. And although, of course, we're looking forward to returning to direct contact and exchanges, I'm sure that this learning on virtual programming and working differently will enable us to operate more efficiently in the future through a mix of in-person and online support. And uh, I think many, many different institutions are facing some of the same issues. And of course, nobody wanted this pandemic. It, it has been a tragedy for many, many people. But we have to learn from the experience. And, uh, and as I say, I think we look forward to making our work stronger, more efficient, more effective in the future as a result of, of what we've gone through. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, and we look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon, whenever that will be possible. Thank you so much. It'll be a pleasure. See you, see you very soon, Ingrid. Our final guest for today is Laura Thornton. So thank you so much for being with us today, Laura. Um, you have just joined International Idea as Director of Global Program at the start of April this year. Um, and I know you were planning to move to Sweden from Georgia, where you have served as Global Associate and Senior Director for the National Democratic Institute since 2014, having been with NDI since 1998. Can you tell us where you're now and what did the borders closing across Europe and, of course, the lockdowns mean for your move? Thank you so much, Ingrid. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, indeed. This has been a very strange environment in which to start a new job. So I was supposed to arrive and join the IDEA team in Stockholm in uh, March, in fact. But unfortunately, the border closings and this terrible pandemic has kept me in Tbilisi. So we've been starting, you know, enough work is going around anyway, even despite this. And so lots of Zoom calls uh, with the various teams like yourself, getting to know people through uh, internet connections is a very unusual way to do business. But I, I picture where we would have been 10 years ago and it would have been un unthinkable at how we can manage to do things. And I actually have been participating even in these webinars and am quite impressed by the technology and the quality of the programs. I do hope to get to Stockholm in June. Uh, this is the goal. And I do have movers scheduled to come to my house. So uh, it better happen. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be in an empty house with no furniture. <laughs> I'm sure it will work out. Everything seems to be opening up now. So um, fingers crossed. Um, so... Interparis falls under your purview um, at International Idea. How do you think Interparis fits in in the wider sphere of uh, parliamentary development and what can it bring to the table? You know, I, I have a soft spot for parliament work. So as, as you mentioned in the introduction, I worked for National Democratic Institute, NDI, for many years. Um, and I did a lot of work with parliaments. And to me, this is essential. And I think what InterParis is bringing is, is an important component, which it has the, the exchanges. This is something that every parliamentarian I've ever worked with from Cambodia to Indonesia to the country Georgia, where I am now, 
they love hearing from their peers. This is the most valuable uh, compared to any kind of training that I could provide or, or any sort of expert on parliamentary procedure. It's hearing from their peers. They can relate to one another. They understand the politics. And the same goes for staffers. I've worked a lot with parliamentary staff, and I, I, I believe they are the engine that really keeps this institution going. And having their, those exchanges as well is extremely important. Uh, I also think there's a level of um, political scrutiny that's missing from a lot of parliamentary programs that I've witnessed. A lot of the implementers that are trying to support parliamentary development focus often on issues related to sort of technical changes, or they, they put too much energy on, you know, drafting rules and procedure. And they, they like to sort of pretend that the politics isn't there. And, and in my perspective, everything that you do in parliament is indeed political. Uh, you know, setting up a website is political. Plugging in a computer is political. Uh, designing and oversight procedures and rules of procedures is political exercise. So I think the sort of vision that Interparis has and the, and the sort of understanding it has baked into the program that these are political actors, they operate based on political incentives. And, you know, we can help them by addressing the elephant in the room and not dancing around it. So I, and I, that's where, again, the peer-to-peer -peer exchanges come in and the work that you all are doing, I think is, is really valuable. And in fact, I would, I would like to see it spun off into other new directions. I think there's a lot more that we can be doing along these lines, a lot more parliaments we could be reaching, but also a lot of new sort of thematic areas that we could focus on. My next question is, may sound rather simplistic, but I think it is an important question that uh, we need to address. Why do parliaments matter? And ultimately, why should people care? No, I, I don't think that's simplistic. I think that's an enormously complex and important question. Um, parliament is the country's representative body. It is where people meet government. If the parliament fails to represent uh, the people of a country, then the whole system breaks down. So having parliaments that are accountable, transparent, responsive is, is essential to a functioning democracy. And unfortunately, we've seen in many countries over the last several years, a real erosion in faith in this institution. In my own country, the United States, I mean, congressional approval is at, you know, 10% perhaps. Here in Georgia, I have done, the country Georgia, I've done public opinion polls. And, and parliament has abysmal ratings by the public. And the problem with that is if people have no faith in their representatives to represent their interests and pass legislation that means something to them, then they lose faith in democracy. And then that's when other forces can really take advantage of that vacuum. Uh, so you see the rise of far-right populists, undemocratic movements, illiberal movements, or even religious movements that come to the fray to replace parliament because parliament is not serving the people. And then we can see serious democratic backsliding. Uh, when citizens lose faith in the or organ where they're represented, then they're gonna lose faith, faith in the whole experiment of democracy. 
uh, and we will see continued slippage. So our attention on ensuring that Parliament uh, is serving its function, particularly its constituent relations, representing the people that voted for it, talking to citizens, getting their input, conducting casework. That's one in incredibly important angle of building trust. But there's also another important angle, which is the role of oversight. If we don't have functioning developed parliaments, we can have executive overreach and abuse. Budgets won't get spent properly. Uh, corruption can flourish. And issues related to things such as minority rights or women's rights will get overlooked. If you don't have thematic inquiries to look at how different policies are affecting different components of the population differently, then you are hurting people in the country. So there's millions of different important functions and parliament is sort of at the center of ensuring that the democratic experiment that we're all in works. So I think that we need to be continuing to focus on this, continuing to help parliament strengthen internally and also working on the supply side and the demand side. We also need to be helping citizens engage what are mechanisms they can do to get more involved and get their voices heard. It's, it's not a one-way street, and it really requires active participation from the public. What are ways we can do to sort of create that energy, create those fora for participation, create those channels? And I think the pandemic is really exposing this as well. We're having to move to more innovative, more tech-based uh, methods. And perhaps that's in some ways a good outcome that we can be less reliant on sort of town hall meetings and physical interactions and going and visiting parliament in person and knocking on the door. But if we can create more open governance spaces so that people can participate online or through their mobile phone or in other ways, that actually can perhaps make it more accessible in the long run. I, I mean, in a way, it has opened up creativity. And I think that that's important because we've been operating in some ways, parliaments are so old fashioned and they need to adapt and, and be more flexible and creative and evolve. Uh, so maybe this is exactly. Thank you so much for um, joining us, Laura, and um, hope everything goes well with the move to Sweden. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the Interpires Parliaments and Partnership podcast. Subscribe to the Interpires podcast on iTunes or Spotify. You can also listen to the podcast on our website at inter-paris.eu. A big thank you to my colleague Elena Botanina for steering this initiative. See you next time.